Chapter 12. Corner the Culprit. In 11, we heard lies and more lies. Shard talked to Fritis. We had one tired Deborah. We had Rita the Cutter. Gunner half and half story meets glory on the ice pick. All right, in chapter 12, we're going to find everybody knows Deborah skis. The path through the woods, the ski path. Harold and the skier. Shard begins to pull it all together. Deborah cries. Chapter 12. Corner the culprit. Shard passed Shelley on his way to Neil's desk. Hi, beautiful. Hi, Lieutenant. I brought some homemade cookies for Neil. Poor man has to work the evening shift, too. Yeah, I know. He has nine kids. He doesn't like to go home? The problem is he's home too often, hence the nine kids. Eight, Shard heard from around the corner. Which makes me think, Shard said to Shelley, we just came from Deborah Newbill's house. She's about your age. Were you in high school with her? She was a grade ahead of me. Prettiest girl in the school and smart as a whip, too. Shard didn't wince at her cliché. She had long ago earned as many free ones as she wanted. What can you tell me about her? Is she a suspect? Maybe. Well, I remember that she was petite, but had that perfect figure that draws guys. She was small and graceful while I was the pot-bellied girl who couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. But she never got married. Isn't that interesting? Do you know why, he asked? Rumors have it that she snagged the richest man in town, Mr. Harkness. I've heard that, Shard said. She was popular. She was vice president of the senior class, belonged to a bunch of clubs, and played flute in the band. She was the best girl skier in the school. Her team had neat jackets. I always wanted one, but I can't stand up on skis. Best skier on the team, huh? That's interesting. How many years was she on the team? Three, maybe four. Shelley, you're great. If you think of anything else about her, give me a ring, will you? After those chocolate turtles, Lieutenant, I'll do anything for you. Thursday afternoon. The sergeant's office. Shard found Periwinkle and Johnson chatting across their facing desks in their office. They didn't have a third chair either, so he had to stand. You've talked to Deborah several times, Shard said. Did we ever ask her if she could ski? I didn't, Periwinkle said. Neither did I, said Johnson. Well, I didn't either, but according to Shelley of the Chocolate Turtles, Deborah was the best skier on a high school team. Isn't that interesting? I guess so, boss, Periwinkle said. Periwinkle, check the high school yearbooks for the time when Deborah was there and drop a biographical outline for me. I want to make sure that Shelley's memory is right on. It always is, boss, Johnson said. She has a mind like flypaper. Shard's mind stuck to that cliché. Does she still ski, he asked. We know for sure that she didn't salam with Harkness. Check Adirondack Sports to see if she bought any ski equipment there. She could have bought it anywhere, but it would have been easier to buy it there. You're putting her in the picture for Harkness's murder, Johnson asked. If she skis, I am except that it doesn't explain how she drove two cars out there. She had to have a car to get back, didn't she, Periwinkle asked? I've assumed that the killer would, but would she? Get a topographical map, Johnson. See if there are any shortcuts back to Leiden from Foster's. Old logging roads and that sort of thing. If there are, she might have been able to make it home well before dawn. I don't think the killer would want to be spotted skiing along the roads on Christmas morning. It would have looked suspicious. I agree, boss. But who'd be out early on Christmas morning to see her? Periwinkle asked. 
St. Florian's has a seven o'clock mass, Shard said. If we're really lucky, Luke and Dizzy may have been out and seen someone skiing up Tilden at dawn. Check with Luke, Periwinkle. You have a way with him. Lately, I think I only have a way with males who are mentally deficient. Johnson swung around and looked at her with surprise. Shard maintained his composure. He understood. Thursday evening at Schuyler's. It's bitter out there tonight, O'Reilly. You don't know how lucky you are to be in here, Shard said. No place I'd rather be, Lieutenant, O'Reilly said as he handed Shard a camel with a single malt. Shard spied Witchery sitting alone, nursing a draft. He walked over and sat down. I'd like you to tell your client how much I appreciated his help. His boy's observations have put a whole new face on the case. Yeah, Lieutenant, and I'm sure Mr. Charbonneau will be thrilled to know how highly you think of him. Do you ski, Whitry? Doesn't everyone? What the hell else is there to do here in the winter? You didn't ask my qu answer my question. As if it's any of your business, I do. It's the only exercise I get. Do you know Deborah Newbill? This is going somewhere, right? Yeah, I know her. Everybody in town knows that she was Harkness's arm candy. I bet Harkness's wife didn't know, though, right? Shard ignored his question. Did you ever see her ski? Sure, she hung out at Birch Valley. She was good on the slopes. It looked great in the bar. Did you ever try to pick her up? Yeah, but she's a damn tease. Comes on strong and then backs off when you make a move. Know the type? You didn't get the first base? What makes you think I tried? She's attractive and you're single. It seems natural. I thought so too, but she didn't. She never gave me the time of day. She's a cold bitch. Ask any of the guys around Birch Valley. She did the same thing to them. Whom did she drink with? Oh, she was genius at caging drinks, but I don't think she ever left with a guy. I suppose she was afraid Harkness would find out. But that didn't stop her from flashing her vibes when she wanted. And she's got them, believe me. How often was she up there? Nearly every time I was, she looked hot in her outfits. God, were they tight. She's built. Harkness was a lucky man. Not that lucky, Whitry. Shard spotted Doc walking towards him with a brandy snifter. Got room for one more, he asked. Sure, Shard said. Whitry barely nodded. What brings you to our sacred precincts, Doc? I thought you were the country club type, Shard said. I am. I hate to mingle with the rabble, but it's colder than a corpse's lips tonight. I need something to warm my old insides before I drive home. Truck's heater broken again? Shard asked. Still, Lieutenant, at least mine put out heat when it worked, unlike that reverse heat exchanger you have in that tinker toy car of yours. That hurts, Doc. Nah, you know it's true. I meant to have my heater fixed last summer, but never got around to it. He shifted his cigar butt to the other corner of his mouth. It's so damn cold that my genuine plastic seat covers feel like a marble mortuary slab. Couple of snorts of brandy and I'll be fine. Cheaper than getting the damn thing fixed. It's been broken maybe five years. That's ten percent of the truck's life, Shard said. That's about right. They don't make things like they used to, do they? Do you ski, Doc? Do I look like I ski? You'd think I'd ruin this svelte body barreling down some damn slope on a pair of slats? Besides, when I ski, the wind blows cigar ash into my eyes. Damned irritant, I'll tell you. That means you skied once and gave it up after you developed that perfect body. Something like that, yeah. Did you know that Deborah Newbill ski skied? Sure, first hand. What do you mean? 
A couple of years ago, she fell and sprained her ankle. A friend of hers brought her to my office. I laid her out on the morgue and used these multi-talented, ever-so-sensitive fingers. Doc held up ten stubby fingers covered with yellow nicotine stains and determined right away that she had a broken ankle. She was so pleased with my ministrations that she fairly exuded an excess of sensual charms. It took every bit of my noted self-control to re resist them. You mean she came on to you, you old codger, Shard said. I'm irresistible to women, Lieutenant. It's the mystical combination of my excessive intelligence and sensitivity. And they all know that I'm a master of the checkerboard. They can't resist that. Have you ever noticed? Truthfully, Doc, no. This conversation has gone past me, Whitry said as he got up and left. Never could stand that son of a bitch, Doc mumbled through his cigar. He claims Newbill doused him with her charms, too. Horse feathers. She's not that stupid, and he isn't half as good-looking as I am. Speaking of that, want to join me for dinner? Today's Thursday. Mrs. O's special is veal. I'm game if I can have another brandy. I'm still cold. What do you hear from your niece? Sherry? She calls me once a week. She's scared I'll keel over. She's my executrix, you know, and she inherits my checkerboard collection. All she has to do for it is plant me. How's she getting along with Johnson? Doc's eyes widened. Why do you want to know? Just curious, that's all. She likes the guy, I think. He was smart enough not to spout all that drivel about Viking hordes in front of her. So she really doesn't know him. She's smarter than a whip, inherited my extraordinary fox genes. What do you think of the story he told at my house the other night? The one about the two Fritises? More interesting than most. Showed women rule the world. Thursday night, in the barn. Shari drove into his driveway, squinting through the oddly shaped little clear patch on his windshield. He fixed a cup of coffee, went out to his barn where it was relatively warm, and found a camel under the radio. His morgan glistened below the naked light bulbs. He sat down next to it and began to shine its rear fenders and chrome spokes. Women rule the world, Doc said, thought Shard. Gloria said that she threatened Harkness if he didn't break off with Deborah on Christmas Eve. What if he had? What would she do? She was not as sweet as Johnson thinks. Everyone else says she's a bitchy schemer. I suspect she would get mad. But enough to stab him? How could she kill him and get his body to the garage? She couldn't drive two cars, and if she drove one, it had to be his. So she kills him and leaves him in his car in Foster's garage. But where'd she get the skis? The Fosters don't have any because they don't come up in the winter. Then there's the problem of the key. The Fosters must have locked up for the winter. How'd she, or anyone else for that matter, get Harkness's car inside? Skolobarski has a key, but he had no reason to kill Harkness. Ditto for the ice pick. She might carry mace, but not likely a pick. So why would she have one, or something like it, with her? And unless Johnson finds a forgotten trail from Foster's back to Leiden, it would be at least a twenty-mile trek if she followed the highway. The only other way back is a thumb a ride. But on Christmas morning, in the middle of nowhere, carrying a pair of skis? Anyone who picked her up would have come forth by now. More likely not a car would have gone by. She could have called a taxi, but they keep logs and are easy to check. I suppose she could have called a girlfriend, someone we'd never think to talk to. 
but how'd she keep her quiet? Junior's a possibility. He's dumb enough to do something like that, but claims he never went out that night. How'd she lure him out there? She couldn't have promised him sex. He'd do almost anything for that. But after he learned his father was found murdered nearby, even that linthead ought to be able to put two and two together. He probably doesn't care. Maybe he wanted to one-up his old man, shag his mistress right after she killed him. He might get a kick out of that. Then Deborah's the first Fritas, and that begs the question of who the second is. In this case, there almost has to be another. I think the second one is on a separate crime spree. For sure, both Deborah and Rita are masters at using sex for their own ends. Even Shelley implied that when she praised Deborah's popularity with guys in high school. We know Rita used poor, dumb Harold, but for what? Is Rita the other Fritas? Shard closed up and went back inside. Just before he fell asleep, he remembered that he'd forgotten to start his Morgan. Friday morning, Shard's office. You're half as right as usual, boss, Periwinkle said as Shard admired her Nordic sweater that sported caribou marching across her delicate bosom. Only half. I must be losing my touch. I went by Adirondack Sports, and the clerk told me that he knows Deborah well. He said she mostly buys ski outfits. They carry some really neat clothing. I bought the sweater there. Do you like it? Fetching, he said, envying the caribou. But does she buy her equipment there, too? She's bought skis and poles, he said, and I'll tell you, that place ain't cheap. I'll bet not. Johnson marched in with three cups of coffee and a bag of breakfast rolls. From Patel's, not the machine downstairs, he said, as he eyed the wastebasket. If I'd have known you guys would have beat me to the chairs, I'd have skipped the goodies and hightailed up here. See what I get for being nice? Periwinkle stood up and gave him a deep bow. Oh, munificent Norseman, I bequeath you my chair for coffee and rolls. I'm starved. Did you get a topo map? Shard asked. Yep. Adirondack Sports sells them, too. And? The country is crisscrossed with old trails, logging roads, and Indian paths. Some wander out in the middle of nowhere and disappear. Others drift from nowhere to nowhere. Could anyone have come on skis from Foster's to here across country? I suspect so, boss, but they'd have to be an expert map reader. Plus, I'm not sure God could find those paths under three feet of snow. Besides, there are a lot of treeless bogs and sand pits out there that can make it dangerous to cut cross country. So you think Deborah might have, but it would have been dicey. Let me put it this way. I wouldn't have tried it, and I earned a Boy Scout trail badge. You were Boy Scout, Perry Uncle asked? Why do you think that's so odd? I didn't spend my spare hours as a youth plotting routes to watering holes, you know. How long is the shortest route from the Fosters back here, Shard asked. Skabinski tracked the skier to the snowmobile trail, and that means that he or she skied away from Leiden. I measured from there and estimated it'd be at least six miles to town. That's a long way. It's even longer when you factor in the deep snow after the Christmas storms. She'd have been exhausted, Periwinkle said. And in the dark, Shard said softly. They feared he was about to ski into the inner recesses of his mind, but he didn't. Instead, he said, I did some research last night, too. At Schuyler's, Periwinkle asked. I saw you go in. Best place in town to interrogate people. In less than an hour, and over two very enjoyable scotches, which Whitry told me Deborah skis at Birch Valley. How's he know? Johnson asked. He skis. 
Hitomi tried to pick her up after she signaled that she was available, but she frosted him when he made a move. He swears she's a tease. I'd frost him too if he moved in on me, Periwinkle said. I can't believe any woman would turn her charms on that weasel. That's my pet name for him, Shard said. Get your own. Then Doc told me he checked her ankle after she heard it skiing. He thinks it was about two years ago. I didn't know Doc hung around Skylar's, Johnson said. He doesn't. He prefers locales where the conversation soars to higher elevations. I agree with him there, boss. Periwinkle shot him a wry smile. I went out to my barn last night and gave this some thought. You've got to get a social life, boss. If the Kaiser finds out you sit alone in your barn at night, he'll bust you back to a rank where you don't have to think, like Sergeant, Johnson said. Periwinkle threw him a sharp look. Do you guys want to hear what I think or not? We're all ears, boss, he said. Good. For some time, my gut instinct has told me that Deborah killed Harkness, but I couldn't figure out how she did it. Now I think I have a plausible explanation. In shorthand, Harkness told her they were through. She got mad. Somehow she convinced Harkness that she wanted to ski and took an ice pick with her, too. When they rode around arguing, she stabbed him. Then she drove him and the SUV to the Foster's garage and skied off. Some distance, it appears. Then she called Harold on her cell phone and promised him sex if he'd pick her up. He took her home. How do you like that possibility, even if you're not paid to think? It's a little shaky in parts, boss, Johnson said. How'd she unlock the garage? Did she stab Harkness while he was driving? If so, we had to wreck the car. How did she convince him to take her skis along? And I can't believe that Harold is so stupid. He couldn't figure out that Deborah must have killed his father because she was down the road at the suspected time of the murder. I probably have more points, but I don't want to put my job at risk. Not bad, Norseman. Obviously, I haven't worked all the bugs out yet. We can sit here for a couple days and try, or we can go out to see if I'm on the right track. Out where, boss? Periwinkle asked. To talk to Harold, to see if he's really that stupid. Another thing she said. What does this have to do with the shootings and stuff? One step at a time, Periwinkle. Friday morning with Harold. If you've come about the rifle, said Harold, I told you it wasn't my fault. Besides, Mother's lawyer ordered me not to talk to you, so I won't. We haven't come about the rifle. We'll deal with that later. We want to talk about your father's murder, Shard said. What's left to say? You know I didn't do it. I had no reason. You're probably right. But I think you've withheld some vital information. Bullshit. He gave Periwinkle a silly grin, as if to say, I bet you never heard that grown-up word before. Well, for starters, you lied to us about when you returned to Leiden, remember? Yeah, and I explained it. Mother doesn't like colored people. That's what you said. You also admitted that you were in Leiden on the night we think your father was murdered, right? Yeah, I guess so. And you told us, Johnson said, that you spent Christmas Eve on the phone to Rita in Toronto. Harold shifted his chair to look at Johnson. Yeah, I did. You did talk to someone in Ontario Christmas Eve for a long time. But not all night, Shard said. What did you do the rest of the night? What do you mean, what did I do? I went to sleep. That's what normal people do, right? That's what bothers us, Periwinkle said. Are you saying I'm not normal? No, I'm saying that you're different. So where did you go? I didn't go anywhere. 
You told us you didn't hear your mother come in that night, remember? Yeah. A normal person would have heard her. Maybe I was asleep. You ever think of that? Or still on the phone? Do you always hear someone who comes in your house? Shard, Periwinkle, and Johnson all nodded yes. Here's my problem, Mr. Harkness. That makes me sound like my father. Call me Harold. Okay, Harold, here's my problem. What would you say if I told you we have a witness who saw you come home at dawn on Christmas morning? Periwinkle and Johnson chanced a quick glance at Shard. Harold reacted physically. He pushed himself hard against the back chair cushion and pulled himself up, half out of his slouch. It's that damn noisy bitch two doors down, isn't it? The one married to the doctor. She sits on her window all the time. Mother said she's like a guard dog, and we ought to be happy she's there. It's her, isn't it? I'm not at liberty to say. Yeah, well, it's got to be. Regardless, Shard said, would you like to tell us where you were the rest of the night? No, I'll give you two choices. You can tell us here, or you can come down to the station and sit on a hard wooden chair until you answer my simple question. Johnson thought that he'd love to have another chair in Shard's office, even a wooden one. Well, Shard asked. Okay, Deborah called me to pick her up. Where was she? Way the hell out and gone someplace in the boonies. I told her that I was tired and it was cold and I didn't want to go out. But she did. Yeah, why? She said she would make it worth my while. I knew what she meant, you know? Harold looked at Johnson for confirmation. The Norseman remained passive. Where was she? Out on 28. How far, Shard asked. Hell, I don't know. 15 or 20 miles, maybe. What time was this? Why do you always want to know the time? You think everybody walks around checking his watch? It was after I talked to Rita. Sometime after 2. Maybe near 3. I was tired. His tabby cat appeared again from the back of the condo. This time she walked over in front of Harold and looked up at him. Then, with a look of utter disdain, she turned her back to him and jumped into Periwinkle's lap, turned around and around, and settled into the dent she'd made. Periwinkle picked up the thread of their conversation. Do you ever have any trouble finding her? Nah. She was just off the road in some spruce trees. Did she have anything with her, she asked? Of course. She was carrying her skis. But where'd she been, Periwinkle asked. Harold leaned forward in his chair, put his elbows on his knees, and interlaced his fingers like a child playing, here's the church, here's the steeple. She had skis. I figured she'd been skiing, right? Odd time to ski, don't you think, Shard asked. I don't know. What did she tell you? She had to tell you why she was out in the middle of nowhere on Christmas Eve. She said she went cross-country skiing and got lost, so she called me. You believed her. Why not? It was the middle of the night, Johnson said. Did you take her home, Periwinkle asked. I sure as hell wasn't going to bring her to Mother's place, was I? How long did you stay there? Harold broke out with his wildest, broadest smile. Long enough to have some really good sex, really hot. She wore me out. I'm glad to hear that, Shard said. What time did you leave? There you go again. I don't know. I didn't know you cops would care. Take a guess. It was still dark. She said I had to go. I didn't see a car all the way home. It was spooky, but worth it. She's great in bed, I tell you. Father had good taste in broads. Periwinkle fought back an overwhelming urge to belt him, but luckily the weight of the cat in her lap kept her pinned to the chair. Was your mother home when you got back, Shard asked. I suppose so. 
The outside light was off. I had to feel around to get my key in the door, I remember. Did you check on her, Periwinkle asked. Why should I? She's a big girl. Right, she said. When you heard that your father was found dead in the garage on Route 28, didn't you wonder why Deborah was out there that night, Shard asked. Why should I? It was only a coincidence. Odd one, though, don't you think, Johnson asked. Nah, it makes sense. She skied, got lost, and got hot. Girls do it all the time. Periwinkle folded her arms under the, under the marching caribou, lest she smash the table lamp over his head. It never crossed your mind that she might have murdered your father? Shard asked. Why would she do that? He was her meal ticket, and I was her dessert. She had it made. Friday morning. Shard's office. How many years will I get, boss, if I bash that little twerp to kingdom come? A week? I'll replace the table lamp I break over his head. No, I'll tell you what. I'll smash it on the parts he values even more than his head, Periwinkle said. I'll swear it was a justifiable homicide, Shard said. You never mentioned that Miss Ashby saw Junior come home Christmas morning. Who told you that? Johnson asked. Nobody. You made it up? I thought it was a reasonable possibility, so I did, Junior, yeah. Sounds like entrapment to me, Periwinkle said. Won't you get into trouble in court with it? I never said anyone saw him come home. I simply asked, what if we had someone who did? I think that's okay, don't you? Absolutely, boss. That's what I like. Unity in my crime unit. Now, does this latest story prove that Deborah did it? No, Periwinkle said. All we can prove is that she was in the area where Harkness was found when we think he was killed. A good defense lawyer could bust that one wide open. I was afraid you'd say that. Did you think she stabbed Harkness because he broke it off with her? Johnson asked. Why else? I think it's pretty clear that she wasn't faithful to him. Maybe she didn't share her assets as much as that blowhard junior intimates. But which reclaim she even came on to him? I think she was promiscuous while living out of Harkness's wallet. She couldn't have loved the guy as much as she claims, and maybe that made it easier for her to kill him. I have to admit, boss, she had me flummoxed. She struck me as a loving, caring woman loyal to Harkness. That's because she never came on to you, God's gift to women, Periwinkle said. Maybe you've lost it. I'm not her type. She doesn't favor gentle, cultured men versed in ancient mythology. Modest, aren't we? she said. Well, if it's any consolation to you guys, I'm none of those things. And she never fluttered her eyelashes at me either. Obviously, the strong, mature types are not her cup of tea, Shard said, ignoring his own cliché. Let's take her down to headquarters where she'll be less comfortable. And so shall we, Johnson murmured. Friday, late morning. Deborah, interrogated. Periwinkle hated their interrogation room. She once told Shard the decorator tried for earth tones and got hues of Clydesdale's droppings. The room had no windows, only two chairs and a metal table bolted to the floor. Buried deep in the bowels of the building next to the cafeteria, it was cold, damp, and moldy, even in the summertime. Shard seated Deborah behind the table and asked Periwinkle to sit across from her. Periwinkle thought he was being polite. Shard figured that Deborah might find it harder to lie to a woman. He placed a small tape recorder on the table. Do you mind if I record our conversation? No. I'm required to read you your rights, he said, as he took a card from his wallet and read from it. Do you understand? Yes. Shard began to pace around the table. Miss Newbill, why is it that you never tell us the whole truth? 
I have no idea what you mean, she said. I forgot I went to church on Christmas morning. That's not a crime, is it? No, it isn't. But I'll give you one more chance to tell us what you did from five o'clock Christmas Eve until you went to Mass. She watched Shard as he crossed the room and glanced up at Johnson, who had wedged his bulk into the back corner. She settled on Periwinkle, who presented her best impassive look without taking her eyes off Deborah. Nervously, Harkness's mistress shifted on the wooden chair and fingered a scratch on the table. I've already told you. After Steve left, I made dinner, watched TV, and went to bed. I stayed close to the phone because I hoped he'd call after the party. When he didn't, I fell asleep. In the morning, I went to Mass to see him, but he wasn't there. I spent Christmas Day waiting for him to call. That's as simple as I can make it. Shard leaned over the table, and she slid her chair back as he stared at her. Your pronouns and maybe a few of your nouns are probably fact. The rest of your story's a fairy tale. She said nothing. We have a witness who saw you take skis out of a car around three in the morning. The witness said Harold was with you and stayed until dawn. Would you care to tell us where you went and what you were doing with skis in the middle of the night? She looked as shard like a cornered animal, slinking from side to side in search of escape. The huge tear that welled up in her right eye and rolled down her cheek signaled to him that she was either about to break or to try her wiles once again. Head in her hands, tears dripping through her fingers onto the table, she began to sob. The recorder's tape reel quietly circled. When she stopped her convulsions, Johnson set a roll of toilet paper in front of her. Thanks. With what looked to Shard like a deliberate slowness, she dabbed at her face and carefully stacked the wet tissue wads in the corner of the table. Well, Shard asked. Okay, I did go out that night. After the party, Steve called and asked if he could come over. We had a couple of drinks, and he said he decided to divorce Gloria and marry me. And we talked about when he might do that, and all the fun things we do. After an hour or so, he had to go. It was such a beautiful night, and I was so happy. I asked him to drop me off in the country so I could ski home. He let me out up Route 28. That's the last time I saw him. Several more tears welled, and she caught them with a dry square of paper. Did you ski home, she asked? No, I got lost. I floundered around for a while until I found the road. By then I was tired. I called Harold to come get me. Did he? Yes. And that's all you did that night? Yes, Lieutenant. Why didn't you tell us earlier? Because it makes me the last person to see him, except for his killer, and you'd think I did it. Struchard said. But the fact that you're still not telling the whole truth makes us even more suspicious. What do you mean? I told you the whole truth. I want to go home. Not yet. You see, we know what went on that night. Mr. Harkness did come to your house. But what you left out is that he promised Gloria that he'd break up with you. Otherwise, she'd divorce him and take everything he owned. That's not true. He was going to divorce her. No, I think he told you it was over. You argued, but he wouldn't change his mind. And when he got ready to leave, you asked him to take you out skiing, and you got your skis and an ice pick. He drove you up Route 28 to somewhere near the Foster's house. You know the Foster's. You and Mr. Harkness had been there. My hunch is that you opened the car door, then leaned over, maybe to kiss him for the last time, and plunged the ice pick, or whatever it was, into his chest. You got lucky. He died instantly. Then you probably sat in his lap and drove it to the Foster's garage because you knew where they hid their spare key. You used it, drove the car inside, and closed the door. 
Then you skied away, out the back door. You were too far to get home before daylight, so you called Harold on your cell phone and asked him to pick you up. He didn't want to, but you promised him a romp if he did. He drove you home where you kept your word, but threw him up before daylight. Does that sound about right? I want a lawyer. I'm not going to say anything more. I think you should call one. I don't have much money. I need an inexpensive one. There's no such thing, but we have a list of attorneys Johnson will give you. We will hold you until you talk to your lawyer and then decide whether to charge you with first-degree murder. Deborah stared blankly at the tabletop.